This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And yesterday, as Finance Minister Christian Freeland unveiled the fall economic statement, we learned that the deficit will top $381 billion. The document included another $25 billion in new spending on things like an increased Canada Child Benefit and a billion dollars for a safe long-term care fund, which some advocates like CARP say did not have enough strings attached to it, while others like the Quebec Premier complain that it had too many. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole slammed the economic statement because it did not detail its plan for vaccine delivery. Meanwhile, Here on Fight Back, we broke the news that the country will receive 6 million COVID-19 vaccine doses in the first quarter of next year. This according to Mark Livonen, who is co-chair of Canada's COVID-19 vaccine task force. So what do you think? Christian Freeland was talking about how we have a total of, I think, 460 million doses. The government is talking about how they've gone with a portfolio approach, which frankly seems to make sense. But, you know, how and when are we getting it into Canadians' arms? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, uh, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hey, Libby. Hello, Libby. Let us start with, John, uh, what's your take on the economic statement in a general way? Well, I think generally speaking, you know, Libby, whenever the government gives you money, people are going to be happy. Um, and, and I think this this government has continued with that trend, uh, and this economic statement is really no different from, from any of the ones that, that, that have had sort of previously. But obviously, I think, um, given the fact that we're in a, a significant second wave uh, and that jobs and, and people's anxiety regarding you know, their futures, I think, still lingers in, in the air, I think it, it certainly is justifiable to, uh, to spend the money. And then there are certain things within the, the economic statement that are, that are promising with respect to the child benefit increase. Obviously, that's going to help a lot of a lot of folks, especially um, those who are who are burdened with respect to having to look after that and, and not being able to find to find work or or what have you. So that's a huge benefit. I think that you know the issue with with uh, the spending and the stimulus is still yet to be seen. A lot of it um, was was preloaded. I think whether or not you know there's a specific plan on that is yet to be seen. I think a lot of of the issues that he was dealing with uh, and a lot of the the, the spending. Um, are numbers that he's thrown out, but yet there's no plan on what's going to happen next. And I think one of the key reasons that there's some uh, financial, you know, advisors who are looking at this or financial experts are looking at this saying, you know, there's still 
you know, there's nothing to deal with the recovery part of it. I think there's no plan for that. And, and again, you know, it's hard to sort of say, look at a recovery when you're in the middle of a, of a second wave, but that is something that the government needs to be able to focus on. And I think one of the key issues that, that you know, you were mentioning as well is that the provincial federal jurisdictions, especially with regard to the money that they're spending on long-term care facilities and how it's enveloped or, or at least targeted, I think is causing some consternation. Obviously, the, the Quebec Premier displayed, <laughs> displayed that in his news release this morning. But So I think there's still some stuff that, that needs to be uh, worked out and, and, and focused on over the next little bit. But I think that you know, the fact that it's, they're spending a lot of money is not a surprise to, uh, to many Canadians. Karen, uh, from the point of your point of view uh, in, as a small business person, uh, did you get any kind of uh, relief or um, are you satisfied that they're doing what needs to be done? Yes. So we did get relief from, uh, we had Q's, which is the wage subsidy. Uh, so we've had that since the program was announced and we continue to receive it because um, our revenues have fallen uh, to the point where we, you know, we wouldn't be able to keep our staff. So we have benefited from queues, no question. Uh, there's very little um, other programs that we could benefit from because we don't pay rent, and uh, we're a charity, so we don't pay taxes. So we, you know, but again, you know, we're looking to the future to say, okay, well, this is great. Um, you helped us get through this so far. Um, even though the vaccine is being announced. It's not really clear, you know, until we have a real clear sense of how that vaccine is going to be distributed, none of us really in the small business capacity know when we can expect to resume um, something like normal operations. And so there's still quite a bit of uncertainty out there. For me as a small, you know, running Variety Village, there's quite a bit of uncertainty what the next year looks like. and in terms of the vaccine, I mean, she was talking in general terms. Uh, the Premier of Ontario is not happy. He has no idea which vaccines are coming when. And in the midst of all this, Karen, uh, yesterday we talked to the co-chair of the Vaccine Task Force, who said six million doses in the first quarter, uh, which is the first I've heard of a timeline. And that means three million people. Uh, does that sound good enough to you? Well, if we could get those doses out into the to the sectors where they need to be, which is in the hospitals, in the long-term care facilities, in the rehab, in home care, and, uh, you know, we had a plan that we could rapidly uh, get uh, those frontline workers vac- vaccinated, I think that that would be a, a, a wonderful first start to, to being able to, um, you know, think about a plan through this. Uh, again, it is a little bit interesting that when the Premier was being... Or, Prime Minister, rather, was being directly questioned on the vaccine that this wasn't part of the announcement. <laughs> Six million doses are coming in the first quarter because that's a good news story. So it, it is a bit of a question. Is it because we don't know how those vaccines are going to get into people's arms? Or is it is there something else that we yet are we going to learn down the road? I, I don't know. Or is the right hand and the left hand not talking? Uh, Karen, uh, uh, our producer, Zeev, will, uh, d- there's a little problem with your line, so we're going to oh. deal with that. Okay. And we'll move along to Charles. Uh, Charles, uh, your take is the criticism that there isn't enough of a detailed vaccine plan. Is that fair? Um, I- I'm not sure fairness enters into it. I think it's more the reality of the situation with regards to the number of vaccines that may or may not be available to us over the coming months, uh, the relative degrees of effectiveness. Uh, you know, the, the two vaccines that people talk about most at the moment are Pfizer and Moderna, which are both double dose, which is to say that there have to be two injections over the course of two or three weeks. 
which obviously presents big logistical challenges if you're talking about um, vaccines for millions of Canadians. Uh, there's a lot of promise being expressed around Johnson & Johnson's viral vaccine, which is different from Pfizer and Moderna's, which are both mRNA. And Johnson & Johnson's vaccine seems to be cheaper, and it would be a single dose. There's also a lot of talk about how long these vaccines will last, and we're starting to hear about um, different types of vaccine technologies that may come on stream later um, that could have much longer-lasting effectiveness against the virus, which would ensure that if it does linger over a period of some years, as may be the case, that folks could have longer-lasting protection. So, it's 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 really a difficult situation. Um, you know, how many vaccines will be delivered in the province of Manitoba by April 1st? How many will be delivered in Oklahoma or Okinawa? No one can say with any degree of certainty because it's in the nature of the business. This is an accelerated process. We've got a lot of terrific people working on this, trying to work in close collaboration and the extent to which, you know, we can continue that made in Canada solution where everyone was working together, the better it is for all. Well, yeah, except uh, yesterday, uh, the guy who was in charge of the task force uh, said very plainly, six million doses the right. first quarter, which is three which, million people. Did he say which vaccine? Uh, it's um, the, Moder- the two. I the Moderna and Pfizer Moderna, assuming that they are, of course, assuming that they are approved. Uh, he did say something interesting, which uh, sort of surprised me, because I know that we've bought a lot of vaccines, you know, pending approval. We took a bet. And he said that that the companies have to hang on to them until they're approved. They wouldn't let us be the judge of not distributing them if they're not approved. So they, they there's no delivery until approval. Mm-hmm. Um, John? Um, yeah. Well, I, I think, and also just full disclosure, I actually represent Johnson & Johnson, so I won't, uh, I won't say anything um, specific to, to Johnson & Johnson. But, but just overall, I think the, the vaccines and the fact that there's four, uh, four companies now that have, that have put forward and filed both uh, in, in some cases with the FDA in the U.S. And, and with Health Canada here, most recently with Johnson & Johnson, as you mentioned, is a, is a really good thing. But I just have a hard time you know, trying to understand why the prime minister, while every other G7 leader uh, and, and quite frankly, other leaders, we're negotiating this, and, and including the U.S., which we were hearing about from on a day-to-day basis with the, with the president's, you know, operation warp speed, um, and and the companies that were were well into researching and and doing testing on this many many months ago, that that we're at a position now where you heard from somebody that's a co-chair of a task force that we're getting six million vaccines in the first quarter yet the prime ministers had ample opportunity to be able to say something to that effect that, that to your point is really good news and why because he's getting criticized for it i thought Aaron O'Toole's comment yesterday was look despite what's happening with the fall economic statement and what was said in it nothing is going to be good for our economy unless the, there's a vaccine strategy and he's right about that because everybody's now relying on the vaccine strategy and it just seems mind-boggling to me that that there hasn't been this. He he finally put somebody in charge of it, a military person, quite frankly, after Doug Ford put Rick Hillier in charge of the Ontario uh, issue. So he's, he's falling behind on this. I'm not confident we're going to see 6 million. I hope we do 
And I hope frontline workers and, and those in long-term care facilities are the ones that get it first and foremost. Uh, so I do hope that we get it. But well, I'm uh, not sure. He was talking about September 2021 before the rest of the population got vaccinated. Well, six, six million uh, doses is three million people. I, I, I was going to answer, uh, ask you, and I think I got my answer, whether you, whether you think that Aaron O'Toole's criticisms are fair, that he's saying uh, there's no plan here. I mean, uh, I don't know. When, when I look at it, I think, is, is there the bare bones of a plan? Um, do you think that his criticisms are fair? John? Yeah. I think I think they are fair, but I do think that there is a plan, and and the plan that the Liberals have had and the Prime Minister has had from the beginning is to spend money, and no one uh, regrets or begrudges him for that. Obviously, we the money is needed. Businesses have been uh, survived. Charities like Karen's have have survived over the course of the last number of months because of it. So for sure, money needs to con- continue to flow, uh, and and I think they've adjusted. Some programs over the last, you know, number of months, which ones have worked, which ones haven't worked, and, and the rent relief and all that. So I think all that from that perspective, Libby, that is a plan. It's a plan to kind of survive uh, in the moment uh, over the next little while because we don't know what's happening. But what we do know is that vaccines are out there. They're, they're getting approved. They're going to be, uh, people are going to get vaccinated, which means at some point that hopefully this pandemic will end uh, and there'll be a new normal. But we have to yet see what the plan is for that after that. And I think what Aaron O'Toole is saying is that if there's no plan for, for Canadians to get vaccinated, therefore to end this pandemic, then how can we start talking about the economy when we, we, we're, just, we're living in the moment? Um, two things, Karen, that, that the, I heard the Prime Minister say just this morning that um, left me wondering. So one of them, he, he was being asked about, you know, the question of having the, a vaccine plan, a rollout plan. And he, it, what he seemed to be saying was, trust me. And he said, Hey, look, um, and the words, this is the words that he used. You know, people were grumbling about rapid, uh, diagnostic tests. And, and you see, we've rolled them out. There was this mass grumbling. He said, mm-hmm. uh, it, is that comparable? Is that the way, you know, that these people are just grumbling and it, and it'll all work itself out? Well, I mean, and I guess it's an interesting um, example to point to because we haven't had the rapid test rollout here in Ontario. They're coming. So, apparently, they're coming. Right? And so, so I'm not. I think we have. I think we. They. They were. You know, the the um, asymptomatic testing in that school was that a rapid test? I don't know. I, I read about the testing this morning. My understanding was that that was supposed to go into long term care facilities so that the staff and the the um, those the residents could get tested more quickly. So, and and the fact that we actually don't know speaks to. Uh, why we're grumbling, because if those rapid tests are not been distributed, they may have been distributed in Ontario, to Ontario, but they're not being distributed through Ontario. And, you know, and the other part is, uh, not to take us off on another tangent, but, you know, we have international flights coming in every single day into Pearson. And why aren't the rapid tests at the airport? Because we have flights coming in from hotspots all over the globe. And so it, it just seems to me that if, if we're, we're if, if the, the prime minister needs to do better than just trust him, like he can't just say, trust me, it's all going to work out because there has been an, enough missteps um, for all the good intentions and for all the good work that's been done. I think Canadians are right to be skeptical unless they see the plan that there is a plan. Because again, we thought we understood there was a plan for long-term care. It didn't get implemented. We understood there was a plan to deliver the rapid testing kits. 
it didn't get implemented. You know, all the plans that we're told exist when it comes to implementation, it seems to be non-existent. And when we're think when we're talking about people's lives and, you know, going back to work and reopening things like this is really important to a lot of people. And so I think that to err on the side of over communicating what the plan looks like is in the prime minister's interest. Um, you know, a lot of people say they are over communicating and they're just maybe not saying much. Charles, another <laughs> thing I heard the prime minister say this morning uh, again, when he was asked about this, he said, hey, we uh, we distribute the flu vaccine every year. We know how to do it. We're terrific. And and this this year, it was a bit of a schmozzle because, you know, partly because a lot more people than usual wanted the flu vaccine. But, you know, um, here in Toronto, it's distributed through public health and public health operates on fax machines. So uh, that that particular comparison certainly did not fill me with any confidence. Well, let's go back to the vaccine situation. At the moment, the government of Canada has successfully negotiated um, vaccine delivery from eight different providers, and it's done so to the tune of hundreds of millions of doses because no one is yet entirely sure what will work, what will be efficacious, what will get approval, what will be ready to go. And so the notion that somehow we haven't, that the government hasn't been working on this for some time is just nonsensical. The second is that the fall economic statement yesterday invested $126 million in the government's capacity to manufacture vaccines here in Canada, which is very, very significant. And I think you'll see a number of countries will realize, just as we realized with PPE, just as we realized with a lot of uh, pandemic-related uh, demands and needs that we need domestic capacity and the government's starting to address this. You know, I really wish I could be an opposition leader because <laughs> you can just say the most nonsensical stuff imaginable. Uh, like the NDP yesterday were saying that this was an austerity budget, despite the fact that, you know, <laughs> okay. And the notion we agree that there. No plan around dealing with the pandemic. I mean, they've just announced a three-year economic recovery package. That's, in many respects, as immediate as the vaccine's concerned is. Economic recovery is a huge consideration in all this. And the government has thought, thought things through sufficiently to realize that once we turn the corner and once we are able to blunt this thing, we're talking about three years of sustained investment to bring about an economic recovery. To say that there's no plan is just ridiculous. Uh, another thing that the Conservatives are on about, and we'll let John weigh in on this one, and uh, also looking back. So we had a bit of a boondoggle with the Chinese partners that the government had for developing a vaccine, and they were in the midst of retooling a national research lab, which apparently is taking a long time to retool. Uh, but, you know, did... Did Canada put too many eggs in one basket? I mean, you know, on the one hand, the Chinese are holding our hostages uh, and, uh, you know, we're making deals with them. And then when it came time for a a clinical trial, they just said, hey, we're not sending you our vaccine. John, so is is Aaron O'Toole, again, right, fair to be bringing all of that up at this point? Well, I just want to say I, I'm so glad that Aaron O'Toole is our leader and that he is probably the most effective opposition leader because 
unlike what, what Charles was saying, he actually is keeping this uh, this government and this prime minister to account and, and trying to keep them transparent as much as he can, uh, despite the fact that the liberals have, have, have just not have a, not had a plan on the vaccine. But, I, you know, on the China issue, that's another uh, weak spot for this prime minister and this government. As we've talked about in the past, I think it's, it's a, it, it, there's always a balance between making sure, obviously, they've got our are two Michaels uh, held hostage, and you want to make sure you don't do anything that would jeopardize their safety. But at the same time, not dealing with them and not being able to, to hold them or be tough with them is not working, and it hasn't worked. Uh, so, so we've got to have some uh, plan or some strategy that obviously the prime minister does not have when it comes to China. And this is yet another example of, of when something happens, China just thumbs their nose at us and we just sit there and sort of take it. And, and I don't think that is a good strategy for us to have. And I think that the fact that Aaron O'Toole has been so strong on China from the time he was in opposition, from the time he ran for leader, and now as leader of the opposition, uh, I think is, is important. I think he is keeping the prime minister's feet to the fire when it comes to China. Charles, uh, I've seen a little speculation. It looks like neither uh, opposition party, none of the big ones, like the budget. Is there any chance, you think, that we go to an election that it uh, does not get a confidence vote? Not a chance. But let me just let me just say on the um, on the partnership between the National Research Council and the Chinese company. I mean, it was a very very small investment in a partnership. Uh, to try to develop a made in Canada vaccine, it was one of you know 20 different efforts underway, including the negotiation of successful deals with eight different potential vaccine suppliers. And you know, there's a lot of very good reasons to have grave doubts about China, about the Chinese government. But there's no doubt that O'Toole continues to play to his base in in a manner that's almost Trumpian. I mean, turning this into some great scandal where you know, there's a conspiracy between the Canadians and the Chinese is is crazy. I mean, it, it's absolutely nonsensical. And I think it gets into a, a tendency on the part of the right, which is which we've seen in the United States, which is a desire to grow conspiracy theories and just see how many people you can convince them are real. And it's so bad that the conservatives are actually trying now to call a parliamentary committee to probe the government's plan. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of more important things going on, frankly, than these kinds of conspiracy theories. Karen, do you see it as a... As for the election, um, I I think it's highly unlikely. As I've said, as I think I've said before, I wish we could go to the polls. I really do. I think think the, the government has a very credible case to make that it has done exceptionally well, especially in comparison with the United States and other developed countries in terms of how it's dealt with the virus terms of how it dealt with the provinces. We talk about absence of details from a plan, from the, the plan that was announced yesterday. And some of that criticism is legitimate, but it's largely rooted in the fact that what the federal government is now contemplating constitutes huge intrusions into provincial jurisdiction. And it, and it just makes sense for the government to proceed very carefully in co- as collaborative a manner as possible. Karen, uh, do you see the criticisms as peddling conspiracy theories? No, no, I don't. And 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 I have to say, when I when I read it in the Globe and Mail about the fact that we had uh, you know entered into this agreement with China and then they just withheld shipment, it was a head scratcher for me. I'm like, why why would we put ourselves in that position? Um, given that we know that we have this relationship with China that's frosty at best, and you know, given that we are, um, you know, our two Canadians are being held, you know, completely 
being held hostage, quite frankly. It was a bit of a head-scratcher that we would, you know, to Charles, you know, he said it wasn't a huge investment. I don't even know why we'd waste five minutes thinking that that was going to produce anything helpful for us. But, that, you know, that was just, I didn't read it as a conspiracy. I just read it as, that's curious. I don't know why we would do that. Um, you know, in terms of whether or not, you know, again, it's all public public perception around um, our ability to deliver this vaccine. And, you know, if if the public is grumbling and there is a sense of grumbling, then I, then I think it is incumbent upon the government to create that confidence that there's going to be a plan. And, you know, and again, I, I, I don't think it's, um, I think the opposition leader is right to hold the government's feet to the fire. Aaron O'Toole is doing his job. And yes, it sometimes can be irritating, but, but that's his role. And if he helps get more clarity, and maybe the plan does exist. And if it does, then it shouldn't be too hard to communicate it out in a way that people can gain confidence that by the, you know, by next September, when the kids are going back to school again, that they'll be um, in going back to, uh, you know, that they can all go back to in-class learning. Because, you know, the fallout from this pandemic with respect to education, with respect to students learning, with respect to people's jobs and their health and families and, and, and all of the implications and, and fallout from this pandemic is, is, is really real. Oh, it's, it's it's huge. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think the proof is going to be in the pudding. And, and uh, John, I think that if if Canadians end up watching as Americans mm-hmm. get an, and Europeans get inoculated on mass while we're waiting, um, I, the, there will be a very big price for the government to pay. And if everything works out fine, um, the, they will reap the benefit. Well, I think that's right. And I think that that the issue is um, that if the U.S. can get ahead of this and and was was so so, so organized, despite all this stuff. And I also I'll say to to Charles, he's going to have to lose the uh, the Trump uh, expressions pretty soon. (laughs) You won't won't have Trump to kick around anymore (laughs) compared to anybody else, uh, Charles. So that'll be it. Oh, no, he's got a half life, that boy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but no, I think I think what's going to happen is that, that anxiety is going to grow continually because of that. I think they're predicting 20 million uh, Americans are going to get vaccinated sometime in January or, or by the by the first month or two of, of 2021. Uh, that's you know that's almost our entire population. And I think once you know Canadians start seeing other countries getting vac- vaccinated and we're not, I think that's where the anxiety is going to be. And I think that to your question about an election. I think that, you know, that could very well trigger one. And I think Canadians would be prepared for one if they see other countries, uh, including Mexico and others, getting vaccinated and we're not. Yeah, they see Mexico get, we see Mexico getting vaccinated and we're not. That's uh, not going to be a good thing. Uh, I mean, we did have the chairman of Moderna on the weekend saying Canada's not at the back of the line. Uh, it's uh, unclear where we are. And then there's all these logistical things, the fridges and everything else that have to be worked out. You know, um, Karen was saying, well, she hopes that to start with, uh, we have uh, healthcare workers and long-term care. So, so here's another interesting thing that I discovered, and we're going to run out of time in a minute on, there are advisory bodies of bioethicists who make these decisions, but they just advise. And it's very unclear that even which level of government will decide this. So is is the province going to ultimately decide who gets vaccinated first in Ontario? We don't know. It could be the local public health unit. And and I believe that there are slightly different ideas between uh, Eileen Davila and 
David Williams about who should get it first. So, and, and I've asked people on these advisory bodies and, and, uh, the reply is, Hey, that's a good question. Who makes that decision? When will it be made? Uh, you know, n- no one seems to know who, who wants to respond to that. I'll give you all 20 seconds to respond to that before we go. Charles. Boy, it goes to one of the challenges that Canadians and Canada faces as has been exposed by the pandemic, which is just multiple jurisdictions that weigh in on every major decision. And the ability of federal officials, provincial officials, municipal officials to work together is paramount, more so than it's ever been. And if we start to see, you know, increasing politicization where, you know, Jason Kenney or Doug Ford start to parrot the, the gibberish that's coming from Aaron O'Doul, but back to the pack stuff. I mean, what's more important, look if you put your finger right on it, who gets first, right? Should it be seniors in long-term care facilities? Should it be um, folks on the front lines, our, our frontline workers, our, our medical professionals? You know, if it starts going to like the Toronto Raptors, there's there's going to be hell. To <laughs> I don't think it's going to the Raptors, Karen. Your twenty yeah. seconds. I think it's really important that the federal provincial relationships clearly iron out that the provinces will have authority for distributing their vaccines within the provinces, and that it really has to. It can't go to the local public health unit. If there's anything that we learned out of the AG report is that this kind of distribution needs to be centralized at the provincial level. Otherwise, it will have no logical sense uh, from a macro perspective of who's making which decisions on behalf of which constituents. So it really does need to be centralized at the province. John? Well, this is the frustration, right? This should actually come from a federal perspective. There should be a national strategy towards this because we have to make sure that that there is a national uh, implication to, to the vaccines and make sure Canadians are vaccinated. So this is why there's a lack of leadership on this issue. But there's got to be some level of provincial jurisdictions within that. And I think that we've, Canada, by and large, throughout this pandemic, have had pretty good federal-provincial relations on this. And I think it's got to continue. But there's got to be a national approach to this, uh, but allowing some of the provinces, allowing the provinces to be able to determine, but not the local. I agree with Karen. That would be a disaster, I think, if we went to the local health units to, to distribute this or to, to strategize on this. Okay. So national leadership where the provinces get to decide. Okay. Got to go. Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Charles Bird, Karen Stintz, and John Capobianco. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Uh, I don't think any of this is going away until the next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.